Blake and our praise team. What awesome singing this morning. Uh, if, you're, if you don't hear good singing where you're sitting, you need to change seats. Uh, I'm telling you, if you come up closer to the front, the singing is just absolutely wonderful. And big thank you, Nathan, to you. Beautiful thoughts around the communion table. Uh, thank you so much. I heard someone say this last week that when we gather around the table, we eat and drink the story. And I love that little simple description of what happens when we take communion together. And then, of course, celebration of our moms today. Uh, I don't know what you spent the weekend doing. Uh, June and I had a lot of different things on our schedule that we tried to uh, fill in. Among them was the fact that yesterday was our 44th wedding anniversary. And so we celebrated that. Thank you. Uh, June was praying about that. I think it was on, on uh, Thursday and she said, Lord, thank you for 44 years, and we look ne- forward to the next 44. And I'm like, what? 44 more? You know, I don't think she wants 44 more years with me. But anyway, uh, I appreciated her thoughts. But uh, we, we celebrated our anniversary, but we also worked in the yard. Uh, perhaps you worked in the yard. I love working in the yard. And, and in particular, I love re- uh, getting ready for the blooming of flowers. Uh, many of you know that I grow, uh, of all things, daylilies. My mother, uh, talking about Mother's Day, was a big fan of daylilies, and she spent a fortune on daylilies. And I'd go down to see her, and she'd say, I've dug you up some daylilies. And I'm like, Mother, you know I only have a yard big enough for so many daylilies. And every time I'd go down, I've got more daylilies. And so a uh, couple of days ago, my first daylily bloomed. Uh, Stella Del Aura is always the earliest of the daylilies, little beautiful yellow daylilies, and they bloomed. But the rest of them will start blooming over the next two to three weeks. And by early June, I mean, I'll have just a, a beautiful garden of daylilies. Here are some of them. Uh, that's one of my, my favorite there. Uh, another one, daylilies, by the way, are called daylilies because a bloom lasts one day. That bloom will last one day, and then it's gone. Uh, they shrivel up the next day, and another one blooms out. And so uh, here's another one that, that I have. I, I just I love daylilies. But I also love gardening uh, for vegetables. Uh, we were putting out yesterday some squash. Uh, I already got my tomato. How many of y'all got your tomatoes out? Man, I don't live in Mississippi anymore. Woo! Yeah, if you, you know, June, by the way, June's like a lot of y'all. Like, why do I want to plant vegetables when there is a Publix nearby, right? Why would you do that? But, but I have to tell you one. I, I got my tomatoes out, but uh, my son sent me a picture last week of their first tomato. And I thought, that's not possible. I said, son, you, you can't have a ripe tomato. He said, we've already got ripe tomatoes. And, and I'm sitting there trying to figure out, wait a minute, your first ripe tomatoes don't come in until the 4th of July. How do you already have ripe tomatoes? And it shows the difference between farming, between my generation and my son's generation. Here's his farming. That's in the corner of the kitchen, hydroponics. That's water down in there with all the nutrients in there. And there's your tomato plants. And you can see he's got already ripe tomatoes. Uh, Jen and I were talking to him yesterday, and we said, how many ripe tomatoes you got today? And he said, well, I had a bunch until Luke got a hold of them. That's our grandson. He loves just going up and picking the tomatoes off 
Now, when you got a garden inside your kitchen, you're doing... And by the way, that's got more on the left side. I cut it out. And so we do live in a different world today. And then, of course, you got to deal with these rascals. Ugh, when you have flowers, you're constantly fighting weeds. And uh, these, I mean, when I was a kid... I would, I would take the, you know, little white part there and I would blow it all across my yard. Not realizing what I was doing. You know, sending the seeds everywhere. And so, you know, we had a lot of dandelions in my yard when I was growing up. Uh, but, but you're doing all kinds of stuff, you know, in the spring of the year if you like to get out in the yard and you like to work. Now, the reason I bring that up it's because gardening's not new. It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And Jesus knew all about gardening as well, which brings us to our topic in our chapter today, which is Matthew 13, and, and Jesus is first teaching in parables. Now, if you know anything about Matthew, Matthew, uh, of course, is Mark just elongated. I mean, Matthew takes Mark's gospel and he just expands it out. And among the things that he does is he takes different blocks of teaching of Jesus. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 13, uh, the, the parables. And then you got three others dealing with different topics as he goes on through his book. And so Matthew kind of gives us more of the day-to-day teaching of Jesus than Mark does. And in chapter 13, he starts telling what we call parables. Now, the best way I know to describe a parable is simply let Jesus do it for us. Okay? What is a parable? Notice Matthew 13, verse 24 in our journal Bible today. He put another parable before them. Now, what's a parable? Look at what he says. The kingdom of heaven. First of all, he's going to be telling us something about something that we don't understand, the kingdom of heaven. Then notice what he says. The kingdom of heaven may be compared. It's a comparison. It's where you take one subject and you compare it to another subject that you're very familiar with. And so notice, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Growing up in Nazareth, even though he was a carpenter, he no doubt his family grew their own vegetables. Everybody had to grow your own food back then. And you can just imagine all of them growing their vegetables and growing their gardens. Jesus had seen his mom or his dad or even he had been out there scattering seed before in order to grow food for the family. And so he knew what farming was all about. And so he takes these stories that people were familiar with and he begins to make points about the kingdom of God. What is God doing in the world? What is he doing as far as setting up his reign? What will the church be like? The apostles come up to him after he gives his first one and says, why do you speak to them in parables? Why, why are you telling these odd little stories instead of just telling them the plain truth? And Jesus responded by saying this, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Put very simply, people are not good listeners. And oftentimes they don't want to hear. And so Jesus says, I tell it in parables for those who want to know the truth. If they listen enough, they'll get it. And those who, who don't care, it'll just fly right over them. I'm watching a Dallas Cowboy football game. This is before the Titans came to town. 
And, and I grew up loving the Cowboys. I mean, that was my team. Tom Landry, I mean, my coach. I loved the Cowboys. And, I, and I'm on the couch, and I'm watching a Monday night Dallas Cowboy game, and June is talking. And she's talking while I'm watching the game, and, and as she's talking, I'm responding. Okay, uh-huh, yeah. And, and finally, she goes, all right, time out, time out. Look at me. You know, and I have to look at June. And she then said to me, the thing all husbands hate to hear, what did I just say to you? <laughs> and y'all, I didn't have a clue. I was going, yes, I, I don't know what I was agreeing to. Because I was so focused on that ball game, I wasn't hearing her. And we've all done that. You get so focused on something that you're not paying attention. Jesus knew that. And he says, and so I tell it in stories, just so that those who are serious will pay attention, and those who are not, Isaiah spoke about them. You're all the time hearing but never understanding. You're all the time seeing me, but you're never perceiving. I mean, these people's hearts are hard, and therefore my words are not penetrating them. And so Jesus in Matthew 13, he tells a series of parables. Some people say they're seven. Some people say they're eight. Uh, that, that's debatable, and I'm not here to debate that. But I'm going to look at seven of them very quickly this morning. The first one is the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed. When you get to the mustard seed, the third one, Jesus basically starts giving two parables to illustrate the same point. And so you get these back-to-back, real short parables. Okay, So you have the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, two parables teaching the same lesson. Number five is the parable of the hidden treasure that comes along with the parable of the pearl of great price. Two parables, same lesson. And then number seven, the parable of the catch of fish, actually goes back and is a parallel of the second parable, which is the parable of the weeds. And so while you've got seven parables here, there's only actually four lessons that are being told. So let's listen to the four lessons. Number one, parable of the sower. Very simple put, man goes out, this is the way they scattered seed back then. They'd have a little pouch with a wheat seed in it. They would go out and they would just start scattering their seed. And the seed would just, I mean, it would go on different types of soil. He says some would go on the pathway, some would go on the stony, uh, rocky soil. And by the way, if you've ever been to Israel, Rodney, how many rocks are in Israel? How many rocks are there in Israel? Half the world's rocks are in Israel. There you go. There's a lot of rocks in Israel, y'all. I'm telling you, I'm like, man, how do you get anything to grow over here? Some fell among thorns or weeds, and then others fell upon good ground and brought forth a good harvest. And so Jesus, after giving it, goes in. His disciples come and say, what did that mean? And he's like, ah. And so he begins to explain it to them. When anyone hears the word... There's the seed, the word of God. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil, Satan comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. 
As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so you have the explanation of the parable. And, and to put it real simple, the very first lesson in this parable he makes is that people are going to respond to the word of God in different ways, but we just need to keep on scattering seed. I was talking to Stan this week, and, and I said, Stan, man, how can I tell the story in a different way so that people can hear it? And he said, well, the parable of the sower is like Facebook. You ever, you, how many of y'all have Facebook, just out of curiosity? Okay, several of you do. Some of you are going, face what? Okay, I get it. But, but, but if you've ever posted anything on Facebook, isn't it interesting the responses you get? I mean, some people are like, no, not even going to read it. They just ignore it. You're like, okay, I've got 1,200 friends, and most of them just ignore it. Yeah, the pathway. You know, and, and then some people will hit the love signal. Boom, you know, that little, that little love heart, you know, ooh, loved it, you know. But you know that they really didn't read it, right? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're there and all excited, but they're like, well, honestly, I didn't read the whole thing. You know, and then others will, you know, they're, they're like, ah, oh, I don't know. I kind of agree with you, but there's some problems with it, and they get choked out. And then you have those that are going, fantastic, thank you, you made my day, right? People always respond differently, and they respond differently to the Word of God. The second parable he tells is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Put very simple, a man sends his servants out. They sow the wheat. They go home. During the night, an enemy comes. And he brings weeds. You know, he, he brings something else. You know, and he sows that in the person's yard. You know, down in Mississippi, people, if they didn't like you, they would come and sow turnip seed in your yard. That was always fascinating, right? Unless you like turnips, then you were in good shape. You know, but they, they planted weeds. In, and, and, and as both began to grow, all at once the servants come to the master and like, wait a minute, somebody's planted weeds where we planted wheat. What do you want us to do? And, and so he says, do we, do we need to go and to dig those weeds up? And the master says, no, the enemy has done this. Do you want us to go out and gather them? He said, no, lest it, in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. And and he says, listen, don't do that. And then he tells what you need to do. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, it's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who has sown them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they'll gather out of his kingdom. Notice, out of his kingdom... All that causes all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, are you are you listening? He says. And so you have lesson two. Christians don't need to be in the weed eradication business. Just plant the seeds. I hate Bermuda grass. I hate Bermuda grass. Bermuda grass loves daylilies. And it'll get in daylilies, and it'll get in there, and its roots will get all around the roots of the daylilies, and the next thing you know, you, you, you can't enjoy your daylilies because of Bermuda grass. The only problem with that is, do you know what happens when you try to dig up Bermuda grass? 
you got to dig up your daylilies. I dug up one time a, a daylily trying to get the Bermuda grass out of it, and one of the roots of the Bermuda grass had grown straight through a root of the daylily and was coming out the other side. I'm like, good night. This stuff is awful. And so if you go out there to try to dig up, if you've got Bermuda grass and your daylilies, you just well to dig up everything because you can't get it out. Some of us, we, we want to be spiritual Bermuda grass removers. You know, the church has got too many people in it that are this or too many people in it that are that. Lord, don't you want us, don't you want us to, to set up a panel at church and, and, and call everybody in and see who's really Christians and who's not Christians and just tell people who are not that they need to leave? Shouldn't we do that? Yeah, try that one on and see how it works. By the way, there are churches who have tried that. And usually after the first round, they give up on it real quick. Because you see, when you start digging up weeds before long, you feel the shovel in your own neck. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't mean for that to happen. And so Jesus says, listen, it's not up to you to figure out who's legit and who's not in the kingdom of God. I'll handle that. I've got it. Leave it to me. He then goes on and he tells two very short parables. He puts another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, now his point that he's making is, is that here's a little bitty seed that produces an incredible garden plant, so large that birds even nest in it. He follows it with this parable. He told them another parable. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And those of you who make sourdough bread, you know what that is about. You've got your stuff that you put in the bread that causes it to leaven and to grow and to expand. And you, and you keep that mixture all the time with you. That's how you leaven it. Ladies did the same thing 2,000 years ago. And the point of the story is very simple. The power, the power of the kingdom of God is right here. It's the, it's the seed. It's this leaven. It's not you and me. The power is in the word of God. Christians must realize that that's where the power is. It's not in us. It's not the preacher's speaking ability. It's not the teacher's teaching ability. It's not, you know, the ability for us to make these arguments that's going to convince no, someone no matter what. The power of the kingdom of God has always been and will always be in the word of God. That's why it's important for us simply to get this in the lives of people. Here's the way Mark puts it. This is a parable that Matthew doesn't include in his. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. And he knows not how. The story of Jesus is the power. I mean, what we celebrate around communion is the power. I mean, if you want to change the lives of people, then, then simply get the Word of God in them. You want to change someone? Invite them to a Bible study at your house. Invite them to a Bible study at a restaurant. Simply say to someone, Hey, I've got this little book on Matthew. I'm studying it. Would you like to study it with me? I go to the prison on Tuesday nights. Guess what we're studying? This book. 
And, and, and the challenge is very simple. Let them read it for themselves. And guess what happens? God's word does the work. And that's the point he's making. He then moves to his second uh, pair. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. I had a friend several years ago that I went to visit with her and her husband in their house over in Ashland City. And I walked in their house, and I look at their house, and I'm like, wow, what, what, what in the world is this? Because in the house, it was all wood. Whole house. Floors, ceilings, walls, staircase. Everything was this beautiful brown wood. And I'm like, okay, you got to tell me about this house. And, and she said, well, uh, years and years and years ago, a doctor uh, owned all the land here on this part of Ashland City. And, and it was when the blight hit the chestnut trees. I don't know if y'all ever heard of the chestnut blight. But used two chestnuts covered the entire United States until a blight came. And, and in the 1930s, I mean, all the chestnut trees started dying. And so this doctor, he called, he had, I mean, he had basically a plantation there. And he called his, his guys in and he said, listen, I want you to cut all the chestnut trees off the land. I want you to mill it and I'm going to build a house from it. And he had a house of all chestnut wood. Now, for a lot of us, we're like, so what? You ever, you ever priced chestnut? You ever, you ever gone and said, I need to find some chestnut wood. I want to build a bedroom suit out of chestnut. You just go and, I mean, I'm sitting here looking around and, and I said to my friend, I said, you do know that the wood in the house is worth more than the house. She said, I know. You know, I mean, people would die to get in here and tear this wood out because, boy, they could build all kinds of stuff with it. She said, I know it. I mean, sometimes you find a treasure in a field, and you're like, i got to buy the field to get the treasure. i got to buy the house to get the wood out of it. He goes on, and he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. I'm always amazed at people who collect baseball cards. I'm not a baseball card collector. I wish I was. I'm not. You know, when I was a kid, we collected baseball cards, but I always took them, pinned them to my bikes in order to make that weird sound as you pedaled. Any of y'all ever did that? Surely some of y'all did that. Of course, a lot of younger people are going, you did what? Yeah, yeah, you take clothesline clips and clip them to your bicycle and put the cards in the spokes, and they'd make a neat noise as you rode. And that's where, you know, all of my original, expensive, fantastic, one-of-a-kind baseball cards went. Okay. But for those who know baseball cards, when they find one, if they ever found just the right one, this is what they would do. And the point of the story is simple. The kingdom of God, as far as life is concerned, is everything. You better be willing to give up whatever you need to give up to be a part of that kingdom. And I believe that with all of my heart. The older I get, the more I realize that what we spend our time doing, what we spend our money investing in... What we focus our attention on oftentimes is absolutely meaningless in comparison to what God is doing in the world if we could just get on board with that. I mean, that, we, I mean, that is what life is all about. And, and the parable here says, better realize what's important and stick to it. 
And then he ends with this one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew its shore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And you're looking at that going, what? So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And lesson number five is let God be the judge. You ever go in deep sea fishing? And, and you pull up a fish and you think, this ain't no good. And, and, and the, the boat, you know, the, the, the charter guy will sit there and say, whoa, whoa, don't throw that away. That's good. You know. I mean, it, it's always fascinating to me what is, you know, good and what's bad. By the way, I'm not good at judging fish. I really am not. But boy, people who are good fishermen, they know what's good and what's not good and what you can eat and what you can't eat. And the point in this particular story with Jesus having visited the Sea of Galilee on many occasions is leave it up to the people who know what they're doing to separate the fish, and God knows what he's doing. We need to get out of the judging business and let God be the judge, which goes right back to the weeds and, and, and the wheat story. I mean, those, those are kind of two sandwiches with these other uh, two pair in between them. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. Strange story to end the chapter. I mean, he's been talking about planting seed. He's been talking about finding that one pearl or finding, you know, I mean, that, 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 that one treasure. He's been talking about the importance of leaven. And I want you to get a strange story of him going to Nazareth and going to the synagogue. I mean, why is Matthew telling the story? And Matthew's telling the story as an illustration. He says, by the way, let's see how it worked for Jesus sometimes. You see, I was, I was convinced when I was a young preacher that the power was in the preacher's persuasiveness, not in the Word of God. And after a while, it, it finally dawned on me, and it was a long while to get it through this thick skull, that, listen, it's not in your ability to share the Word. The power is always in the Word itself and only in the Word itself. Jesus goes down to Nazareth. Here's the Son of God. And he goes down to the synagogue and he begins preaching. He's scattering seed. Okay, he's scattering seed. But I want you to look at the response. So that they were astonished and said as they're listening to him preach, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now when they say this man, they don't mean they don't know who he is. Of course they know who he is. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I mean they know all of his family. They knew who his sisters were. And are not all of his sisters with us? At least two sisters, maybe more. Where then did this man get all of these things? Where did he get his training? Where did he go to school? What rabbi did he study under? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And then you get one of these amazing, just kind of mind-blowing statements. And he did not do many mighty works there. His hometown didn't do hardly anything. Why? Because they did not believe in him. Their hearts weren't open. Here's an example of scattering seed and unfortunately lands on the hard pathway and Satan is there picking it up just as fast as he can. And you think, even Jesus? Yeah. 
I mean, Matthew's trying to tell us, y'all, listen, this is not an easy job. Even the Son of God sometimes got rejected. And as if to make sure we don't get it, John, in his gospel, talk about Jesus' brothers that we just saw their names. And how his brothers were telling him, you need to go to Judea and you need to reveal yourself and you need to show them all the signs. And you get to verse 5 of John 7, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, eventually they would, at least some of them. We know James was converted. We know Judas was converted. I mean, eventually some of his brothers, did all of them? We don't know. Did all of his sisters come around eventually? We don't know. But we know that Jesus had trouble even planting seed in the lives of his own siblings. And so the point of the parables is, is this is not an easy job. But it's the way God has chosen to do it. And Jesus set an example for us. And it's time for us to follow him. And so today, as you go, first of all, start reading chapter 14. Uh, we're, we're going to jump into it next week. William did a fantastic job last week taking one of the stories. We'll look at a different story next week. Number two, pray for those in Hendersonville, Sumner County who don't know Jesus. Lift them up in prayer. Pray for the, your neighbors. Pray for people in Goodlettsville, White House, wherever you live who don't know the name of Jesus Christ. Stop focusing on the weeds. There's always going to be weeds. Come on. I mean, if I, listen, I, I told June, I said, if we didn't have weeds, we wouldn't have grass. I mean, I'm serious. I go outside and I'm like, man, I could spray weed killer out here, but then we wouldn't have anything in the yard. I mean, sometimes stop focusing on the weeds. Focus on planting the seed and therefore keep scattering the, the seed. Keep spreading the word of God. Let's, let me tell you, I can't tell you how important it is. It's as simple as simply inviting someone over and saying, Hey, I'm reading the book of Matthew. Would you like to read it with me? And watch God do his miraculous work. That's what he does. Ah, if you have a special need today, we're going to have shepherds who are going to be going over to the side walls. Uh, you can go over. If you, if you have a desire to be baptized, hey, you can come down front, and we'll be glad to assist you on that. Whatever the need you have, why don't you come and share it with us? Right now, together we stand and sing.